0: All right, open your Bibles to Ezekiel chapter 33, Ezekiel chapter 33, and the title tonight is You Are a Watchman, You Are a Watchman. This chapter looks back into some of Ezekiel's earlier messages and ties them together with the truths that were important to Israel's understanding of God, the situation that they were in. And what God wanted them to do. It's as if the Lord led his servant Ezekiel to combine these spiritual truths. Making one message that, so that nobody could say, hey, I didn't hear what the Lord said to us. Ezekiel turned the spotlight of God's word on the nation of Israel as a whole. In verses 1 through 20. And the people that, left, uh, that were left in Judah and Jerusalem. In verses 23 through 29. And the exiles in Babylon in verses 21 through 22 and 30 and 33. And then he showed them what was in their hearts and in their lives. Every Jew who ever lived in a city with walls knew what Ezekiel was talking about when he mentioned the watchmen on the wall, because the watchmen on the walls were important to the safety of the city. Faithful watchmen kept their eyes focused out in the distance. And he gave warning to the people when they saw the enemy coming. And if the watchmen were alert and faithful, the people were obedient. Lives would be saved. But if the watchmen were careless or the people weren't concerned, the city would be captured and people would die. God had called Ezekiel to be his watchman in chapter 3. And it was Ezekiel's duty to hear God's word of warning and then to tell the people. And the faithful watchmen had clean hands. The unfaithful watchmen's hands, they were stained with the blood of the victims. The people who died, because while he was on watch, he didn't warn them. In Isaiah 56.10, Isaiah compared unfaithful watchmen to blind men. You know, they, they can't see. How can they warn? To dogs that can't bark. What good's a watchdog if he can't bark, you know, and people who can't stay awake. Ezekiel was a faithful watchman. He delivered, you know, God's message to the Jews in Babylon and those back in Judah. And that message was repent, turn from your sins. The word turn is used eight times in this chapter and it describes repentance. The biblical words translated repent simply mean to change your mind. But this change of mind also involves a change of life. You know, you can't say you've truly changed your mind and have repented if, there's no, if it doesn't involve change in your life. They go together. If a, if a thief truly repented, that thief would go back or give back what they had stolen. Those who lied would confess that they lied, and they'd ask for forgiveness. The drunkards who would get drunk and abuse you know, alcohol... They would stop. So chapter 33 is a turning point in the book of Ezekiel. After God called and commissioned Ezekiel back in chapters 1 through 3, Ezekiel delivered messages of judgment against Judah in in chapters 4 through 24, ending with a message that the siege of Jerusalem has started. And then in chapters 25 through 32, are a change to the message of restoration that follow in chapters 33 through 48 by announcing God's judgment against Israel's enemies. After considering chapters 1 through 24, the subjects of Ezekiel's role as watchman of Judah and of Judah's responsibility and opportunity to pay attention to and repent, by doing so, we'll find life. The announcement was made that Jerusalem had fallen in verse 21. And yet the people of Israel were still unrepentant, according to verses 22 through 33. So this is the setting. This is the background of Israel's refusal to pay attention to the watchman's warning. And of the clear proof of the messages turned to a theme of hope and restoration. Israel, and especially Judah, had been deceived And robbed by the messages of the false prophets who had predicted that there would be a soon coming uh, or or a soon return to peace and a glory that never came. So out of the despair of the exile, those who were in captivity, Ezekiel had the chance to bring in the truth about the coming Messiah who would be a servant shepherd and he was going to set up a wonderful new kingdom. So chapters 33 through 39 consists of words of restoration and hope. And chapters 40 through 48 give details about the restored people. False shepherds are condemned in chapter 34, and the true shepherd is presented as the source of the coming restored kingdom. Chapter 36 gives us a description of the cleansing and restoration of Israel, which climaxes in its uh, resurrection from the dead in chapter 37. The section climaxes with a prophetic judgment message on the enemies of Israel, Gog and Magog, who oppose the resurrection and restoration of the Hebrew nation. So here in chapter 33, it covers the watchman and the fall of Jerusalem. Chapter 33 here can be divided into three parts. One, warning to listen to the watchman in verses 1 through 9. Second, warning to turn from evil in verses 10 through 20. And third, Jerusalem's fall and Israel's failure to heed in verses 21 through 33. So the message also sums up the principles of the new kingdom. First, God desired that all people should, should live in verse 11. Second, the new kingdom will be populated by those who enter by choice as individuals in verse 3. And third, the conditions for entering the kingdom were repentance and faith. Verses 14 through 16. And fourth, individuals are free to choose repentance or to continue their evil lives in sin in verses 17 through 20. So let's begin now with chapter 33 with verses 1 through 9. Again, the word of the Lord came to me. That is Ezekiel saying, son of man, speak to the children of your people and say to them, When I bring the sword upon a land and the people of the land take a man from their territory and make him their watchman, when he sees the sword coming upon the land, if he blows the trumpet and warns the people, then whoever hears the sound of the trumpet and does not take warning, if the sword comes and takes him away, his blood shall be on his own head. He heard the sound of the trumpet, but he didn't take warning. His blood shall be upon himself." But he who takes warning will save his life. But if the watchman sees the sword coming and does not blow the trumpet and the people are not warned and the sword comes and takes any person from among them, he is taken away in his iniquity, but his blood I will require at the watchman's hand. So you, son of man, I have made you, again, speaking to Ezekiel, he says, I have made you a watchman for the house of Israel. Therefore, you shall hear a word from my mouth and warn them for me. When I say to the wicked, O wicked man, you shall surely die, and you do not speak to warn the wicked from his way, that wicked man shall die in his iniquity, but his blood I will require at your hand. Nevertheless, if you warn the wicked to turn from his way, and he does not turn from his way... He shall die in his iniquity, but you have delivered your soul. So Ezekiel kind of sounds like a broken record. (laughs) Often repeating, as we've heard all through Ezekiel, the word of the Lord came to me saying. And he repeats those words because he's wanting to constantly remember the people that I'm not giving you my opinion. I'm not giving you my ideas. I'm not giving you what I think. I am giving you the word of God. Thus, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, The purpose for the message is to bring back to their remembrance. That is, the people Ezekiel is calling God's people to repentance in light of the watchman's warning coming true. The city has been captured. And the death of those who hear the watchman's warning, but they refuse to listen, is their own fault. A watchman was at fault if he sounded the alarm, but no one responded. But he was guilty of the blood to those who perished if there was an attack and he hadn't warned the people. Cities were built with towers on the walls where the watchman would stand and keep watch. The trumpet would blow or the shofar or a ram's horn, which is the trumpet, the trumpet Uh, again, would sound, and it was used to sound the warning if an enemy was coming. This horn was used for both military and religious purposes. Ezekiel was a divinely called servant, whose trumpet figuratively speaking was the messages of Judah and Jerusalem, sounding the alarm to warn of approaching judgment. Ezekiel's troubling messages were were, were divinely revealed, verse 7 tells us. And they were directed specifically to the people of Judah. So as a watchman, Ezekiel didn't use his own powers of observation. But he was the vessel of divine warning. God used him, called him to give the messages of of judgment that was coming. God explained that when Ezekiel delivered the messages, Ezekiel fulfilled his responsibility as a watchman. Whether or not the people listened to him or whether or not they responded. Ezekiel fulfilled his responsibility because he gave the people the warning. Warning others of the consequences of judgment that comes with sin is never an enjoyable job or a popular job. But those that are called to give it must do it. Believers have a duty. Believers have a duty to be watchmen who, uh, again, who warn those who are in the world and are without God, they are to warn them of the destructive nature of sin. We are to tell people what will happen if we live in sin and and what will happen in its final irreversible result, which is death and hell. Our responsibility is also to warn and to tell others as convincingly as we can about the, the danger of sin. But... We don't have any control over how that message is received by those that we talk to. As Paul said, one plants the seed, one waters it, but you see, it's God who makes it grow. Both will be rewarded, the one who waters and the one who plants, for their own hard work. So you see, we're called to plant, we're called to water. But you know what? The the results don't depend upon us. They depend upon God. Our duty is to spread the word of God. Then in verses 10 through 20, these verses covers a a, a warning to turn from evil. So let's look at verses 10 through 20. Therefore, in light of what he just said in verses 1 through 9, he says, Therefore, you, O son of man, say to the house of Israel, Thus you say, If our transgressions and our sins lie upon us and we pine away in them, how can we then live? Say to them, as I live, says the Lord, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn, turn from your evil ways, for why should you die, O house of Israel? Therefore you, O son of man, say to the children of your people... The righteousness of the righteous man shall not deliver him in the day of his transgression. As for the wickedness of the wicked, he shall not fall because of it in the day that he turns from his wickedness, nor shall the righteous be able to live because of his righteousness in the day that he sins. When I say to the righteous that he shall surely live, but he trusts in his own righteousness and commits iniquity, none of his righteous works shall be remembered. But because of the iniquity that he has committed, he shall die. Again, when I say to the wicked, you shall surely die. If he turns from his sin and does what is lawful and right, if the wicked restores the pledge, gives back what he has stolen, and walks in the statutes of life without committing iniquity, he shall surely live, he shall not die. None of his sins which he has committed shall be remembered against him. He has done what is lawful and right, he shall surely live yet the children of your people say the way of the lord is not fair but is their way but it is their way which is not fair when the righteous turns from his righteousness and commits iniquity he shall die because of it but when the wicked turns from his wickedness and does what is lawful and right he shall live because of it yet you say the way of the lord is not fair O house of Israel, I will judge every one of you according to his own ways. Verse 10 says it like this in the New Living Translation. Ezekiel, I want you to tell the house of Israel, so you have said, our sins are heavy upon us. We pine away with guilt. How can we live? God's answer was that every individual has the chance to repent, and they're commanded to do so. He said in verse 11, turn, turn from your evil ways. You can, it's like God is pleading with them. Why should you die? Because of sins. He says, turn, turn from your evil ways. This was a call to repent so that they could be healed and restored. You know, in Acts chapter 17, verse 30, you know, we hear the, the, it says, God overlooked the times when people didn't know any better. That, that was about the things of God. But now he commands, notice, commands everyone to turn to him and change the way they think and act. Because now we have the word of God. Jesus Christ came and he taught the people what God was like. They heard God speak when Jesus spoke. They saw how God lived when they saw Jesus live. So now he says, because I have given you evidence of the things of God, I command you to change your ways, to change the way you think and you act. In times past, when when you didn't know those things, he kind of, you know, overlooked it. God didn't take any pleasure in the death of the wicked, verse 30 tells us. And here he says, why should you die? He was always careful to warn the people of judgment and to call them to repentance. Repentance. The question says, when he says, why should you die? The question says, hey, there's no good reason for continuing to sin. There's, there's no justification for your sin. There's no reason why you sin. You sin is always foolish. Nothing justifies it. Now, you may disguise it as, as, you know, as it, hey, it looks intelligent. But it's still sin. And still doomed for hell. Ezekiel believed in man's moral freedom to choose emphasizing we each have a responsibility we you know again it emphasizes individual responsibility you know ezekiel would have been shocked by even the suggestion of anything like the unconditional predestination of individuals to heaven or hell as taught by john calvin and his followers now again this is a controversial subject you know eternal security but listen carefully to what the Bible says. Again, even Ezekiel would never again believe in the in, in, that, that God would predestine people to hell and predestine them to heaven. Think of it. That, that's not God's character, first of all. That He would He would just automatically predestine some to heaven and some to hell. And again, as taught by John Calvin, and and many today believe it with all of their heart. Earlier, Ezekiel has spoken about the individual's own personal responsibility before God. And he said that if a person who had been righteous turned from God, all right, listen to what the Bible is saying. He said that with a person who's been righteous and turns from God and he sins, he will surely die. Of the righteous person's turning from God and his resulting punishment, Ezekiel says that because of the sin he has committed, he shall die. Such a person really has been righteous and has really fallen from grace. But if he doesn't come back to God and he dies in his fallen state, he will suffer God's holy wrath and and, and suffer eternal hell. It's always a greatly mistaken idea, but it's so widely accepted in Protestantism that once one becomes a Christian, he can't fall from grace. He can't be ever lost again. But it's really hard to understand how you can reconcile a doctrine of once in grace, always in grace, with the clear biblical teaching that we have here in Ezekiel as well as other places in the Bible. Here in verses 10 through 20, Ezekiel returns to the same emphasis. It's as if with the Holy Spirit's guidance, Ezekiel can see a time to come when this doctrine, Calvinism, would damage the spiritual life of holiness by supporting that what men do, like repenting and believing or don't do, doesn't have any bearing on their eternal destiny that they're elected or they're rejected before they're even born. In other words, before people are ever born, they're predestined to hell and some are predestined to heaven. Predestined to heaven or hell through no choice of their own. Listen to 1 John 2.2. 2. And he himself, Jesus, is the propitiation or the sacrifice for our sins, not only for ours, but also for the whole world. That alone says some that, that people are not predestined. To he died for the whole world hebrews two nine but we see Jesus, who was made a little lord than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory honor that he by the grace of God might test, taste death for everyone John three: sixteen for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever Whoever believes should not perish, but have everlasting life. Ezekiel said here 1,000 years before this doctrine of Calvinism came around that, he righteous, that, that his righteous behavior of righteous people notice, will not save them if they turn to sin. Here in verse 12. Just because a person is righteous or justified before God won't help him in any way if he willingly turns against God and he sins against God's Word. It doesn't matter how righteous he's been in the past. None of that will save him if he willfully turns from God and sins against God's Word. And then Ezekiel explains, explains even further in Ezekiel 33, 13. It says, When I tell righteous people that they will live, But then they sin, expecting their past righteousness to save them. Then none of their righteous acts will be remembered. I will destroy them for their sins. This seems to be the opposite of the doctrine of once in grace, always in grace. Which is also called the doctrine of eternal security. And then Ezekiel explains the case of the wicked person who turns from his wickedness. This person's individual destiny wasn't decided before he was born. It's decided by whether or not he turns from sin and turns to God. God says, when I say to the wicked, in verse 14 and 15 here, he says, when I say to the wicked, you shall surely die. If he turns from his sins and does what is lawful and right, if the wicked restores the pledge, gives back what he has stolen, and walks in the statutes of life, which is a picture of repentance, and doesn't commit iniquity, he shall surely live and not die. And then people were saying in verse 17, oh, the way of the Lord is not fair. Hey, they like the idea of claiming to be righteous and and everything, and and yet living in sin and still going to heaven. (laughs) You're not fair, Lord. Wait a minute. Ezekiel explains that God's ways are very fair. Each individual is being treated according to whether or not he's righteous. They're told in verse twenty, "O house of Israel, notice I will judge every one of you according to his own ways." So, if anyone suggests that this Old Testament teaching and the New Testament truth might have been different, we need to point out a couple of things. First of all, the New Testament follows what Ezekiel taught. We see it in Matthew ten twenty two, Colossians one twenty three, Hebrews three six, and Second Peter one ten. Second, supporters of unconditional election and perseverance don't give any reason for a change from need for individual responsibility in New Testament times to no requirement of responsibility in the New Testament times. And don't forget what Jesus said. He said, I didn't come to destroy the law, but I came to fulfill it. That says, I'm here to fulfill the Old Testament and the New Testament. I didn't go from one to the other. The Old Testament, he's not saying the Old Testament doesn't mean anything to me, only the New. I came not to destroy the law, to fulfill it. So everything from Genesis to Revelation, Jesus fulfills. Every scripture is inspired by God, it's inspired. And this is God's word. It would definitely take a twisting of the text to teach that believers can never be lost in the face of such teachings like Ezekiel gave here. That's why I say, read the Bible. Listen to what it says to understand the great truths of the Bible. Verses 21 through 33 covers Jerusalem's fall and Israel's failure to listen. Look at verses 21 through 22. And it came to pass in the 12th year of our captivity in the 10th month, on the 5th day of the month, that one who had escaped from Jerusalem came to me and said, The city has been captured. Now the hand of the Lord had been upon me the evening before the man came who had escaped. And he had opened my mouth so that when he came to me in the morning, my mouth was open and I was no longer mute. An eyewitness comes to Ezekiel and tells him that Jerusalem has fallen. Ezekiel had already said that Jerusalem was, was destroyed because God had told him. But up to now, he hadn't been given any information about it. So when the news of the destruction of the city was brought to these people, they were shocked because, remember, the false prophets, oh, you know, peace is coming, You're going to be, everything's going to be fine but they were shocked they were overwhelmed with the news because they never thought that anything like this could ever happen on the very day that this news was brought Ezekiel's wife died and God said to him remember don't grieve for your wife he says, I want these people to know that I have rejected their city they think that I I have to have Jerusalem they think that, that I won't destroy it they don't believe I'll judge sin but I will you know, Judge didn't. God didn't need Jerusalem. God doesn't need buildings and churches. A lot of people depend on churches. Remember, Jesus said, "I'm going to destroy the temple." He cares about the souls of people. He said, "I want these people to know that I have rejected their city. I don't have to have Jerusalem." I will destroy. He did. They don't They didn't believe that he would judge sin. But he says, I will. So he told Jeremiah, don't weep for your wife. Let the people know at this time the city is being destroyed because of sin. The city was struck. God dealt a blow to the city. At the end of chapter 24, God announced to Ezekiel the destruction of Jerusalem, the bloody city. And from that point on, from chapters 25 through 33, he had given him a prophecy for Jerusalem. Instead, he had given him messages for the surrounding nations. He'd given him a prophecy for Jerusalem, but now he has given them messages to the surrounding cities around Jerusalem. Now, when he came here to chapter 33, we find that God no longer makes Ezekiel speechless about Jerusalem. He says to him, I have some messages for you about Jerusalem now. Look at verses 23 through 29. Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, they who inhabit those ruins in the land of Israel are saying, Abraham was only one, and he inherited the land, but we are many. The land has been given to us as a possession. Therefore say to them, Thus says the Lord God, You eat meat with blood. You lift up your eyes toward your idols, and you shed blood. Should you then possess the land? You rely on your sword, you commit abominations, and you defile one another's wives. Should you then possess the land? Say thus to them, thus says the Lord God, as I live, surely those who are in the ruins shall fall by the sword, and the one who is in the open field I will give to the beast to be devoured, and those who are in the strongholds and caves shall die of the pestilence, for I will make the land most desolate. Her arrogant strength shall cease and the mountains of Israel shall be so desolate that no one will pass through. Then they shall know that I am the Lord when I have made the land most desolate because of their abominations which they have committed. The Babylonians had left some of the poor people behind to take care of the fields and the ruins while the rest of them survived the siege that, uh, that had taken uh, Babylon. The Lord heard what these people were saying. They were saying, we have a right to this land because the Lord spared us to live here. He said, after all, you know, when Abraham was just one man, God gave him the land. But the survivors were many and had lived on the land a long time. So the very fact that they had survived proved that they were special to the Lord. So they could claim the land for themselves because the previous owners were either dead or in captivity. They'd forgotten that Jeremiah had already settled the question of which group was God's choice people. The exiles in Babylon or the survivors in Judah. So as recorded in Jeremiah 24, God showed Jeremiah two baskets of figs. One was filled with very good figs and the other was filled with very bad figs. The very good figs represented the exiles in Babylon God would use them and the remnant to build the temple and restore the nation. The very bad figs were Zedekiah, King Zedekiah, and the leaders in Jerusalem who destroyed the Lord by breaking the treaty with Babylon. So it's obvious that the remnant of Judah was not considered special or choice by the Lord. But Abraham, he was a righteous man. And the people left in Judah had been living in defiance of God's law. In verses 25 and 26, Ezekiel lists, notice, some of the sins that they were committing. He said, they were eating meat with the blood still in it. That was against their law. He said, they were worshiping idols. They were committing murder. They were relying on violence. That is, on the sword. They were doing abominable things like committing adultery. So instead of inheriting the land and becoming rich, the people would be killed by the sword The beasts of the field or the pestilence that comes with war, according to verse 27. Instead of the land becoming their prized possession, it would become desolate and it would enjoy the Sabbath rest that they didn't allow it to have. Look at verse now 30 through 33. As for you, son of man, the children of your people are talking about you beside the walls and in the doors of the houses And they speak to one another, everyone saying to his brother, Please come and hear what the the word is that comes from the Lord. So again, God's speaking to Jeremiah. So they come to you, Jeremiah, as people do. They sit before you as my people, and they hear your words, but they don't do them. For with their mouth they show much love, but their hearts pursue their own gain. Indeed, you are to them as a very lovely song of one who has a pleasant voice and can play well on an instrument. For they hear your words, but they don't do them. And when this comes to pass, surely it will come. Then they will know that a prophet has been among them. Now that that Jerusalem has fallen, like Ezekiel had prophesied, the people know he's a true prophet of God. Even though they know he's giving them God's word, they still won't obey it. Listen, unbelief is willful. It is a choice. You know, unbelief, it's not because mankind has a, a, a great mentality that they're so you know brilliant that they can't accept what God says. The real problem is that people don't want to give up their sin. That was the problem with the people Ezekiel ministered to. They were willing to come to hear Jeremiah speak, to come and hear what Jeremiah had uh, I'm sorry Ezekiel had to say. But it didn't have any effect on them whatsoever. You would think that the people would now turn to God. But that wasn't the case. God said to Ezekiel, hey, don't let the crowds deceive you, Ezekiel. Yeah, it's true. They're coming to hear you talk. They're listening to what you have to say. But they're not paying any attention to what you say. He says they're not doers of the word at all. Oh, they like it when you talk about love. You know, they like about when you talk about the future and prophecy, but it hasn't affected the way they live one bit. They're still living the same old life, the same old way, far from me. Ezekiel was the only man who said that Jerusalem would be destroyed. Remember, all of the false prophets said, hey, it's not going to be destroyed. There's going to be peace and rejoicing. Everything is worried. Don't, don't listen to Jerome. Don't listen to Ezekiel. All of the false prophets said that it wouldn't be destroyed. The word of confirmation has come. Jerusalem is destroyed. Ezekiel is declared a true prophet. But Ezekiel knew that the people who came to his house to hear him, to hear him speak, they didn't appreciate his ministry and they didn't obey what they heard. And as the exiles met one another during the day, they would step out of the hot sunlight and they'd talk about Jeremiah's ministry, according to verse 40, 30. They even invited people to come with them. Come in here, Come and hear this preacher Ezekiel. But going to hear the word of God wasn't a serious thing to them. Verse 30 uh, in, the, in the Living Bible, it says this. Come on, let's have some fun. Let's go hear him tell us what the Lord is saying. I mean, wicked hearts. They weren't concerned one bit about what God had to say. They weren't concerned one bit about, <clears throat> about God's truth or their personal responsibility. All they wanted to do was <clears throat> to get up to date <clears throat> information so that they could make money. <clears throat> they listened to God's preacher, but they refused to obey what God told them to do. They saw Ezekiel as an entertainer. Oh, he, he, no, he, he, he's like a guy who, who, who sings and has a great voice. And he plays an instrument well. They didn't see him as an exhorter. One who tried to warn them. One who tried to warn them about God's judgment. And one who tried to convey God's love to them. When Ezekiel got this information... Think of it, you know, Oh, God says, hey, Ezekiel, you know, they're, they're coming to hear you, but they're not interested in doing what they say, what you say. They're just having a great time coming and bringing people and, and don't have any plans on, you know, they're, they're far from you. Now, when Ezekiel got this information, man, it could have really bummed him out. It could have really discouraged him, and a lot of times it happens. Man, you 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 preach the gospel, and you you want to give them the God's word, and you and you do you know what God wants you to do, and the people just oh you know that's a great piece of information, or you know they they you know instead of being enlightened, they're being entertained. They want people want to be entertained rather than enlightened. So again, Ezekiel could have been bummed out, you know, and 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 yet you know the Lord added a message of faith and hope. The day would come when the fulfillment of God's prophetic word would convince careless people that a prophet had truly been among them. And this would mean personal privilege, learning the word, personal responsibility, obeying the word, and personal accountability, being judged by the word that they'd heard. In closing, believers and unbelievers today have the word of God easily accessible to them. Conferences, retreats, seminars, literature, the internet, radio, TV, DVDs, CDs. Hey, we're going to have a lot to answer for when we stand before the Lord. As Christians, because we don't know the word. And yet we have all of these resources at our fingertips. And for the unbeliever, he can't say, hey, well, I didn't know. it. He as well. Had all of this accessible to him, so we'll have a lot to answer for when we stand before the Lord. The Christian for not knowing His Word, and for the unbeliever for again saying that he, you know, he, he didn't know, and yet, as his responsibility, the most important thing that we should all know is God and His Word. The important thing at the judgment seat of Christ is not going to be how much Bible we studied or learned, but how much we loved and obeyed what we studied and learned. Again, an important passage to think about and to go go over it on your own in, in quiet time. It's you and the Lord. Father, we thank you so much for this powerful and enlightening passage, God. Lord, again, not knowing is a choice. It's a willful choice. Either I don't want to know God's word or I want to know God's word. It's not that I can't, that I don't want to. And for that, we will be judged heavily. As we're praying, and, and, and maybe you're here tonight, and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, but through this, this passage, this study tonight, the Holy Spirit has spoken to your heart. And you recognize that, I'm, that, that you're living without God. And no matter what good things you've done in the past, it will not help you on the day of judgment. It's what you did with the Father's Son, Jesus Christ. If God's Spirit has spoken to you and, and you, you sense the need, you recognize your need for Jesus. If you want to receive Him as your Lord and Savior, as we're praying, just lift up your hand and you can put it back down again. Anybody? Precious Lord, we come before you and we thank you for your wonderful word. Father, we pray that we would take it seriously, Lord, and that we would be enlightened rather than entertained, God. And that, Father, we would live for you, that we would recognize, Father, we, it's, it's abiding in you, which means to remain or to continue or to stay in a, in a certain place or relationship. So it means to stay in a relationship with you. Your word says that you abide in us and we abide in you. So Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your love and your grace. We thank you for your tender mercies, God. We thank you for saving us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Sunday morning, back in Philippi.